and record. Welcome to Breast Cancer is Boring. It's a podcast about breast cancer, so I mean, I feel like that's pretty obvious, but we made the tagline and then we were like, yeah, let's use this tagline every time. And then we never did. Yeah. So, but the tagline was something like, mm, what was it? You are Jocelyn. I am Jocelyn. And I'm Lauren. Yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Yeah. That's it. Good night. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about trauma. trauma. We're going to get, yeah, a little bit deep into it, mm-hmm. actually. And we're doing this because I feel like lately, at least you, Lauren, had an event that I, when you were describing it, mm-hmm. sounded like trauma to me. Totally. And then it reminded me of something that happened that felt like trauma. Right. And look... Again, we I might be using the word trauma in kind of a very general sense when it has a very specific uh, definition, but we're going to get into that okay. because I actually did some research. Awesome. I did some work. So, <laughs> but, so like traumatic events can be like, let's see. Okay. I looked it up, right? Mm-hmm. And just for a review... When you Google things, we've talked about just Googling things. There are a few indicators that you can trust the source you're looking at. One of the primary indicators for me is that it's a .gov. That's usually at least some government agency or some accredited source that's going to give you information based on actual fact. So that's a good way to start. The second way you can tell is there's actual citations in-text citation, so footnotes, and then at the end of the article, it lists all of the literature articles that it's referencing. I always look for that. So this one is from cancer.gov, and this is kind of like a primer, and it's called Cancer-Related Post-Traumatic Stress. Um, and then I chose, there's two versions you can look at you can look at the patient version which is going to have a lot of more lay language in it I'm looking at the um, health professional version which I I just want as many details as possible and I think any person could read the health professional one and and probably it's not that in depth Ooh, good time to remind everybody although I am a nurse and although I was trained as an oncology nurse and I gave chemo for a number of years this is not a substitute for medical advice from your oncologist or really any other medical person you know personally and trust. <laughs> because I am not a medical expert. Far from it. I am a caregiver, but let's be honest, I haven't given care to patients in three and a half years. So just keep that in mind. I have an office. I wear a blazer to work. I may still be a nurse, but I am in administration. So keep that in mind. Anyway, the reason I even looked this up is you were telling me your story 
that reminded me of a, of a similar experience that I had had. And I was wondering why I was having that experience. And also, I often wonder why all of a sudden, for very unpredictable reasons, I have the urge to, or I actually do, just start crying hysterically. Do you have this? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I don't get to act on it, though, with my kids around because that would probably freak them out it might freak them out totally freak them out so I don't do that Hmm. Um, and they keep me really busy so you know when I start to feel like that it's um there's usually plenty of other distracting distractions in my house to keep me from uh having mega meltdowns although I did this morning while drying my hair (gasps) I would like to hear about this Yeah. Um, So for those of you listening, recently I had um, a doctor's visit with uh, a wonderful uh, nurse practitioner who I absolutely adore. And um, she's a nurse practitioner in the oncology office that I go to. And uh, I, I really went to go see her for a second opinion about some pain that I've been having. And uh, although I, I knew that this would probably lead to some testing that I need to have done. And although I knew that this pain is something that I've had for a while and I've been trying to determine whether it needs to be something that needs to be addressed or if it's going to go away or whatever. Um, of course the act of going to the doctor and even as much as I like this wonderful woman that I went to see, um, and all the recommendations that she made, I knew were coming. I knew those were coming. I knew she was going to make, you know, say, oh, we're going to need to do an MRI with and without contrast. You also need a venous Doppler. You know, we're also going to send you to a, a breast cancer specialist and you need to go and, and see her and, and we need to do all of these things and we probably need to do them soon. So all of my appointments are for Monday morning and that's coming up. And as soon as I left there, even though again, I knew that all of this was going to happen and I knew that she was going to order these tests, you know, the meltdown happened where I felt like, again, I'm in this place. And I think really a lot of it for me is the unknown, you know, it's just, and what a lot of, of patients that even are initially are being diagnosed, it's that, oh crap, <laughs> that, that moment where you're like, well, now I'm actually going to have to face this thing that may or may not be anything at all. But since I've already been through the, oh, you have cancer and now we're going to have to do, um, a mastectomy and now you're going to have to start chemo because it's much worse than what we were thinking. And you know, and, 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 and going through all of that and living through all of that was just like a crazy flashback was like, oh no, (laughs) not again. Although in my sound mind, I am also like, I know exactly what I need to do and I'm okay with whatever the results come out. Great. If it's not anything and it's something minor, um, shit if it is, but, but at the same time, 
it's, uh, I knew all of this before walking in there. Um, but then it just, uh, like I was saying this morning, drying my hair and I just, you know, crying. Um, luckily I hadn't done my makeup yet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, and I'm upside down, like drying my hair and crying and like crying into your eyebrows. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And my, of course my husband walks in and looks at me like, what are you doing? Like, I just, I'm so upset. (laughs) I'm still, of course, drying my hair because I don't stop. No, you've got shit to do. (laughs) I've got got a day to to keep going on. You've got a podcast to record. I see. I mean, these are all. Your co-host is going to be so pissed if you're late. (laughs) So high strung, that one. So... (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at and, and yeah, it is, uh, even if it's not impending doom, it feels that way. Um, you know, just because it's, you know, getting back on that MRI machine that you were on before and, you know, knowing where all those next steps went and you're just hoping that it's not that, but again, you know, if it, I found myself Googling last night, mm. what are my chances of a reoccurrence? Like what, what percentage is it? And of course there's no like real science to that because every case is different. Yeah. But what did Dr. Google tell you? 23%. Okay. 23%? Mm-hmm. Shit. <laughs> I don't like that. Well, that I was also, this is so stupid. I was also Googling like, so what are the chances of a, a cancer patient getting a blood clot through their porticath? And, um, because of course that happened to yeah, me. You so I this. was so stupid. I'm just in my head trying to go, okay, well if I, I, I had that. So I was that percent for that. And then I wonder if I was like, Mm. oh my gosh, why am I doing this to myself? So I took some melatonin and I fell asleep. Good for (laughs) you. I I think absolutely that's a good time for any kind of chemical at your disposal Mm -hmm. that will mitigate the high anxiety situation. I knew I was uh, really going down a rabbit hole and Mm -hmm. I decided I was like, I better stop and I need to get something to like make me stop thinking. So took some melatonin and I fell asleep pretty good. Good. I'm glad you did that. Um, yeah. Well, when you were texting me, like all of that, I immediately understood that feeling of like panic terror Mm -hmm. that you get. And then your logical self overrides that so that you can function and do things like drive yourself home say hello, you know, smile at people, like eat dinner, (laughs) try and, I don't know, just go along with your, but you always have it in the back of your mind. And then occasionally it breaks through. And for me, it's if I'm alone, when I'm alone or like I'm maybe not necessarily alone, but in an isolated part of the apartment now that it's not a studio apartment and we actually have rooms 
and especially if there's like noise going on. So if he's watching TV, I can walk in the bathroom and cry <laughs> or blow drying your hair. And also what a luxury blow drying hair, right? Yeah. Right. Now that exists at the same time as freaking out. Totally. And for me, it was like the first time because I had heard these stories. I'd heard these stories from people who were well ahead of me on this, whatever the hell this is, we're all, this ride we're all on. Uh, they're like a few cars ahead of me. And they would tell me that like every ache and pain, every little thing is cancer to them. And like, and the thing of it is, people don't realize, they think you can only get breast cancer in your breasts. So initially that's true. You wouldn't just, I mean, I don't think you would just have a first time breast cancer cells in your spine or something like that. But when cancer recurs, cancer of most any kind, especially breast cancer, it can recur in your gut, Mm -hmm. in your spine, in your brain. It can recur anywhere. And I think people assume that once you have breast cancer, you get rid of all the breast tissue and then you don't get it again. And so I think that is part of the misunderstanding and like the cultural, I guess it's just part of why it's okay that it's marketed the way that it is. Right. You know, when to me, it's a lot darker Mm -hmm. than pink to me. And I get it. And and those two things can exist at the same time, but it's It's really hard. Maroon. (laughs) (laughs) It is ox blood at best. Ooh, I love that. I know. It's very, it's a classy, I don't know. That's the color I would have chosen, I think, Mm -hmm. for the, uh, for the ribbon, if it was up to me, but who knows? I was just as ignorant as anybody before this. Yeah. So, or naive. I think is the word I'm supposed to use. Yeah. <laughs> I asked my oncologist that exact question um, before I started chemo. And I asked him and said, if breast cancer comes back in my lungs, is it still breast cancer? And he says, yes, it's based on the biological makeup of the cancer. And I, that was my aha moment. And I thought, oh, okay. Cause I heard that breast cancer could come back in other places, other areas of your body. But I just felt like I had to ask him. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was, that was new to me. And the idea that they can cross the blood brain barrier and get into your brain and your spine is particularly scary to me. Totally. Yeah. Don't like the thought of that. I don't like that at all. Um, so I had not had that feeling You know, because you're in it, you're getting chemo and then you're getting surgery and then you're recovering from surgery and then maybe you're getting radiation. And that was true of me. So this was after radiation and I found something, I felt something on my labia and I was like, well, that's weird. I've never felt anything there before. Like no anomaly. I've never had like anything on my labia, no real vaginal issues, you know. So I was like, okay. And it felt, I don't know. It just felt like a little, like a hardness there, not inside, but on top of like the, the skin. 
And I was like, okay, God knows how it got there. I still don't know. So like, what was I doing down there? We don't need to go in that. That's a different podcast episode, I guess. But I was like, okay. And I felt the same feeling as when I found the breast lump. I was like, this is nothing. Don't freak out. Don't tell anybody. And just call your doctor right now. So I called to get in with someone. It wasn't my normal nurse practitioner who I love, but you know, you take what you can get. And I think I got in the next day Mm -hmm. and I went in and to up to this point, I'm not particularly feeling traumatized. I'm just like, okay, this is, you know what I wanted? I just wanted someone to look at it and say, oh yeah, that's this. Like that's nothing. It, you know, that happens for this reason, you know, do this, try this, this, and this. And if it doesn't go away, just come back and we'll, you know, like I wanted someone to look at it and say, it's nothing. And I went in and I saw this provider who seemed very competent and she looked at it and her immediate reaction wasn't, oh, this is nothing. She said, well, this could be nothing, but because of your history, I would like to biopsy. And that was when I realized that this shit doesn't end. Like for the rest of my life, if I go for any reason to a provider, they're going to use that line. They're going to say it, it's probably nothing, could be nothing, but because of your history, because of your history. And I mean, I, I don't know how to get around that. Like, I don't know if I can just not tell people that I had breast cancer, you know, or that I have it or like whatever the language is. So she biopsied it. Like, I don't know if I realized at that moment that I was about to have an out of body experience, but I was. And so the provider, she gets all done and uh, she's going to leave the room and I'm like, okay, leave quickly because I know that I'm going to start crying and I'm going to get out of this building before that happens. And she pauses at the door and she goes, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. And then she walks out without making eye contact. And I and that was all I needed. So I put my sunglasses on just to get out of the office because I was already crying. I couldn't hold it in. I couldn't, you know, it's like pee in your pants. <laughs> like you try and hold it and you hold it and you hold it. And like as an adult, you feel like you should be able to hold it all the way to the bathroom. I should be able to hold my tears all the way to the car in the parking garage, but I couldn't. So I'm peeing my pants, the face version of that. And I get to the car because <laughs> that's how shameful I feel about it, which is super messed up according to my therapist. And I'm sitting in the car and I, I cried so hard. I felt like I was watching myself cry. Oh no. Like there was a part of me that completely dissociated from the experience and was just watching myself like scream crying. Like just like and it was like I don't know, I had to make audible noises to get it out. Oh no. It was amazing. It was amazing. I don't can't think of another time when that I've done that. Not even like when They told me I had breast cancer. So, I mean, I think some of that might have been deferred. It just, I just wanted someone to look at it and say it's nothing, right? Yeah. And it was, and and then it just somehow became, 
something else. And then I, and now just thinking back on that, I, I've been thinking like how much of this is, is trauma. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you want to be allowed to have that total meltdown mm-hmm. and you should have be allowed, but you, I don't know. I feel like you also have to live. Like you cannot just every moment of, of everything, like just think everything's going to be cancer, even though that's where your head goes. It's immediately where my head goes. And it's such a change for me because prior to this experience, I was fully convinced that nothing truly awful would ever happen to me. And maybe that's not odd. Maybe a lot of people feel that way. I just know a lot of people who always think everything is cancer. I was never that person okay. either. Like, you know, people in my life are definitely that way. And I'd always think to myself, you know, statistically, it's just, it's, not it's that. unlikely. Correct. I felt exactly the same way. I always felt that if something were going to happen to me based on my family history, they all have heart disease. Like my, both my mother and my father's side of the families, they all have heart disease. Mm -hmm. Never, ever. None of them have cancer. I've had cancer. Although my grandmother did pass away recently, but she got leukemia when she turned 80 or 82. But I mean, that's like, if I'm 80 and I get leukemia, I'd be like, okay. Oh, I'm going to be fucking pissed. Well, I made it all this way. (laughs) And I've probably, I mean, my plan is to maintain myself pretty well. I'm going to have a great life in my geriatric years. All right. Like I plan thoroughly on it. I've been saving for retirement since I was 23. Okay. Like it's going to be a grand old time. Nice. It's going to be a lot of animal prints. Ooh. It's going to be big Big glasses, Sequins. big glasses. Oh, just like all the bling that I can't really carry off right now. It's just, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see this. Neither can I. I hope I make it. <laughs> I'd really like to make it. Yeah. That, um, that labial biopsy, by the way, it was basically just a scab. Somehow what? I had scratched myself. That's all it was. Okay. And I just, I don't know. That is what that is. Well, thank goodness. It just sucks. Like every scab, am I going to have to have it biopsied? You know what I mean? Like, jeez, such bullshit. It really is such bullshit. But okay. you just, you really can't help it. No, no, I can't. At least not right now. Mm-mm. So this article without like reading it verbatim, cause it is really, really good. Um, but it's basically just talking about the fact that we only recently have thought of trauma for people who are non-military basically, and in particular um, cancer patients. So there have been the symptoms of PTSD are things like avoidant behaviors. So avoiding other people, you know, isolating yourself, intrusive thoughts, which like fixating on things. And usually that has to do with like not, being able to sleep and I'm like oh hi and then um something called heightened arousal which is basically um you have a like a startle reflex basically really heightened startle reflex 
is, is what I read that to be. And they have, they have found that this is the case in a lot of cancer survivors. And they even say, let's see, where do they say it? They call us out for breast cancer in particular. Factors suggesting which patients might be at increased risk of developing PTS and PTSD have not been extensively studied. However, one study of women with early stage breast cancer found an association with PTSD-like symptoms in patients with the following characteristics. Younger age, lower income, which that's a pretty broad statement to make, um, and fewer years of formal education. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, younger age, I, I get it. Maybe lower income has to do with the availability of resources. Because there are a shit ton of doctor visits when you have cancer. There are a shit ton. And I was... I had a, a, a job that allowed me to go to a doctor visit and come back to work, but that is not true of a lot of people. Mm-mm. That was a, a luxury that I had and still have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think about, even like, if I think about last week, on Monday I had to leave work to go to an Echo that was actually something they forgot to cancel, and so it didn't get it. That's the other thing. Leaving for real appointments and then leaving for phantom appointments. And then I work from home on Fridays now that I have to get Herceptin every Friday. Because mm-hmm. we're off the Cadsila. Just an update. Right. In general. Off the Cadsila, my brittle little cells can't take it. So we're on Herceptin every week until I guess the end of time. I don't know. But anyway, I don't think a lot... Of, I never considered that I would be someone experiencing trauma or PTSD. And I don't know if I am really, but there is a concept now, and I don't know how formalized it is, but the concept of big T trauma and little T trauma. And that not all traumas are these crazy life-threatening events. Some traumas are, you know, uh, being a child of divorce is a trauma. Or major life changes can be a trauma. Sure. Everybody takes it differently. Yeah. And I know that this may not be big T trauma, but as I coined, and maybe I coined this phrase and maybe I didn't, but I consider this big C trauma. And I think big C trauma needs to have its own section in the DSM-6 whenever that next edition comes out. And we need to talk about how in particular for cancer survivors why this feels the way that it does. Yeah. You know, we, we are always afraid of being viewed as, um, you know, I don't know, overdramatic and for women, especially. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think for women, especially. And yeah, you know what? Who cares? Honestly. I mean, if you have that peace of mind, Mm -hmm. do it. If you want that, you trust me, you want the peace of mind. Just do it. You so do. You have it. it leaches into everything. I mean, I feel like there's going to be enough events that are really going to challenge your sense of reality and logic that you should just address everything that comes up because otherwise things tend to mount. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that 
scab on your labia mm-hmm. looked at mm-hmm. and then you get the CT results of an incidental finding of a two millimeter subsolid, you know, essentially mass in your lung and it just, it'll accumulate. And if those two things had happened at the same time or subsequently where I hadn't had at least one of them checked out and been told this is completely normal, you, you big weirdo. I mean, I can't imagine what that would have felt like. So just take care of it. Just admit, you can even, you know, admit to your healthcare professional, look, I just want this scan because it probably is nothing and I believe you and I trust you and I am up at night thinking about this and it's hard for me to concentrate at work and I I just want to have a good night's sleep, which... The hot flashes aren't really going to let that happen right now. But at least when I'm not flashing, I could get some sleep instead of fixating on whatever it is. Absolutely. Most recently, I'll tell you what it was most recently. And this took me by surprise. But it was two weeks ago, two Fridays ago. And I was supposed to finally get my CAD Sila again. And they had, I had had my appointment with the nurse practitioner and my labs had come back and they were fine. And I was like, awesome. So I'm sitting there waiting and they call me back. And then my nurse, I'm like in the infusion chair. I'm so close. And the nurse comes out and she's like, just shaking her head. And I'm like, what now? And it was when my bilirubin was super high and I hadn't anticipated that because it had been, you know, kind of fine high fine and then they were like you know the other thing is your ANC is 0.8 which is the lowest it ever was even with chemo proper let alone this like mini chemo that I've been getting so it was 0.8 and and I had my oncologist and my nurse standing there kind of discussing it with me but like with each other like and they're like it's just so strange you know that your white count isn't coming back up And in a flash, like in a moment, like all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I have leukemia. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, the chemo gave me leukemia. Oh no. What? I mean, in a, in a second, I, I decided I had leukemia and I was never going to have an immune system again. And that I was like going to have to get chemo again. And I'm sitting there, they're still talking and deciding on what needs to happen and I'm like do not start crying I'm like talking to my I have a full-on conversation with myself in my mind don't do this right now you know why I was not gonna fucking cry because there was a woman sitting next to me getting chemo she's right there with an arm's reach getting chemo full-on like stocking cap on her head because she's got no hair she looks pale she looks ill she's still smiling at me but here I am with my full head of curly, like, fantastic hair. <laughs> if I do say so myself. It is pretty fantastic. I'm, I'm just really happy with it. Even when it looks this way, like, unwashed under a cap all day, still love, love it, love it. Anyway, she's sitting there getting chemo, and I'm about to cry because I can't get it. And I thought to myself, you do not get to cry in front of this woman today. Like, this is not your show today. So 
we decided to do Herceptin, and now my ANC is two, so I probably don't have leukemia as a result of the chemotherapy I got for my breast cancer. <laughs> probably, you right. know, who knows? But that's how fast that happens for Totally. Me. That's how quickly I go back. Okay, so for a moment this morning, as I was upside down crying, drying my hair, I decided, okay, well, maybe I'll just go cut my own hair off today. Um, hmm. which was without even really thinking about it almost feels like a preparation for the doomsday, you know, answer oh. to my testing that I'm having. Okay. And it was so weird that my mind went straight. Okay. Well now we got to go cut your hair off and I, I don't even have a result. I haven't even had my test yet, but it um, slipped in there so easily. It really did. It really did. But I'm also, I do need a haircut. I need it. <laughs> it's just that. But um, it doesn't need to be drastic as I was immediately thinking. Like my mind just went straight there. So unfair. Totally. It's so unfair. I don't, unlike, I get it. I don't use, I never used to use that phrase like unfair like this is unfair you know because I know globally life isn't fair and then I also have moments where I'm reminded that I benefit a lot from the unfairness at times because it's skewed in my direction a lot of times you know and so but god for some reason I keep going back to the unfairness of it. Wait, and I don't know how that's helpful. I don't know. I don't know why that's helpful. It's not actually. It's not helpful at all. It's okay. It's I'm, just a thing. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh I don't know. I I don't like that my mind goes there, and I also don't like admitting that my mind goes there. Mm-hmm. But I also start to feel like, okay, well, if I just say it out loud, that that's where it went. That's how I was feeling. Um, And it may be totally crazy because, again, this could be nothing. It could have, it could be something that I'm totally not aware of. You know, they even, my nurse practitioner said, you know, you could have a minor leak in your implant. And which I, that's not better. <laughs> I, know. I don't know why that's not better, but, but that's super annoying. I mean, a leak in your implant. I, I what are they just water balloons in there? <laughs> Did they use the water balloons? Because I, I mean, I think we've proven those are not as effective. I, I highly doubt that, that there's a leak in there. Um, but okay. You know, that's fine if if she wants to say, well, well maybe. Um, I I don't think the likelihood of that is is very good, but um, okay. So, oh my god, I know. Okay, cool. I know that why open. You know why that why that's not helpful is just why op- you have one possibility in your head, and then you need this study to tell you that that's not so. Now she's opened up a whole new set of possibilities. She's trying to 
she's trying to like reduce your like panic maybe by giving you all these other alternatives but like really she's just opening up new avenues of catastrophe and you know they ask you like oh well how long does the pain last and how often do you feel it how many times a day do you feel it what's the level of pain that you have those kinds of questions. And I'm sure there's other people out there that have been asked these kinds of questions and they're almost impossible to answer. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm able to tell you the level of pain and the way it feels, but how many times a day I feel it? Are you, it's not like I'm sitting around counting. Right. (laughs) Because you're, first of all, you're trying to ignore it. (laughs) You're trying to like, there's nothing there. I'm fine. I don't have to get this checked out. Also, I understand due diligence and I understand that in the physician's progress note, he's going to need to fill out that section of the form that asks for duration and the nature of the pain and all of that. But I just feel like with our history, considering our history, we should be able to walk into his office or her office and say, you know what? I'm having a pain here. And it's enough that I'm really worried about it. And I'd like a scan. And they should just look at you and be like, okay, let's do it. We're going to have to start with a chest x-ray. So your insurance will cover it. Mm -hmm. So let's get a chest x-ray. And then after that, we'll do an MRI. How do you feel about that? And you'd be like, great. Sounds good to me. End of office visit. (laughs) Like, don't. Yeah. Let's not play this game where we pretend like I have to justify, like it, it just is what it is. There's a pain there. And until you tell me it's not cancer, in my head it's cancer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking you to placate me and I'm not asking you to, what's the word, enable any outrageous thinking, but just consider, you I- know, I don't think that, and this is probably where that, that trauma and then the, you know, the PTS comes in is I don't think any cancer patient that has a consistent pain is not going to think that it's cancer. I don't, I don't know anybody that if you've had it and you, you just, there's, there's no way to go around that. I mean, just from my personal experience and maybe, maybe there are cancer patients out there that don't feel this way, but I haven't met any. It says here that fear of recurrence or worries about prognosis don't necessarily qualify as PTSD or ASD symptoms. So that's, to me, that's good news. Like it's telling me that this is very normal and it's very much a shared experience, which I think is what you just said but the four core clusters of symptoms for a ptsd diagnosis are these first is re-experiencing of trauma symptoms so like specifically nightmares flashbacks and intrusive memories at least one out of five of those of that cluster in the dsm the clusters are parsed out like very thoroughly. So this is just a very broad overview of each cluster. The second is avoidance symptoms, like avoidance of distressing cancer memories. I don't feel like we're very avoidant because like we're literally choosing to relive this. 
And I wouldn't say I'm having nightmares or flashbacks or intrusive memories, like memories that in the moment I'm like losing space and time or, or you know, there are times where I, f- I can fixate on memories, but I've never felt out of control in when thinking about things that have happened previously. Um, the third is numbing dissociative and or negative cognitive symptoms. So unrealistic guilt or self-blame. I have felt guilt in relation to a cancer, like to this whole thing, but I, it's not been, I guess we touched on a little bit. You can feel like there's some, like, what did I do? to you know to to deserve this like I did something bad I I didn't eat the right thing I didn't live the right lifestyle um I stayed in a job that's very stressful to me or like things of that nature but I don't think it's unreasonable guilt that I feel or self-blame and then the third or the fourth the last one is arousal and reactivity symptoms so reckless or destructive behaviors and unprovoked angry outbursts <laughs> now look mm-hmm. i did fly into a rage a couple of times mm-hmm. more than a couple of times during when people would stay say stupid shit yeah. but i feel like that was normal and outwardly i was able to smile mm-hmm. so i really think that you know at least these four clusters on the surface don't appear to apply to me, which is great news. Awesome. For now. Right. But then we're left with this other reality, which is that you just have and will have every once in a while a feeling of uncontrollable sadness for seemingly no reason or at very little instigation and that you will think every ache and pain is cancer and that it may not go away ever so what do we do with that yeah I almost feel like it's despair that you Mm. are feeling you know where you just it's it's makes you sad it's 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 a experience that you don't want to relive, but you, it's almost always playing in the background. And that's, um, I think that it's hard for the patient. It's really hard for the family that's around you or your loved ones, or even your friends trying to understand how you can cope with this and, and really coping, or not coping with it. Or not coping. Right. I'm very quickly Googling prevalence of depression, anxiety, in cancer survivors. Hold on. <laughs> Let's see. Uh... Oh, well, that's completely valid. And I know they have all those support groups. And I know that a lot of people really love and thrive on those. And why is it that... Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they should call them something else other than support groups. Yeah. Maybe they need to have like a more exciting name. Like, 
go get your nails and hair done while <laughs> hanging out with your girlfriends. Oh, and also, by the way, casually discussing cancer, discuss the depressive symptoms of surviving cancer. Okay, Dr. Google says that approximately 18 to 20% of long-term cancer adult survivors report anxiety symptoms. This is from um, NCBI, which actually, I forget what that stands for, but it's a .gov agency, National... <laughs> what are you, NCBI? They're good. They're they're like, if you see NCBI, then it's good. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't tell you what it is. And even when I click on it, it doesn't say... Anyway, whatever it stands for. Ooh, it's got hella citations in this article. So 18 to 20% at least. But I don't know if it's the hemoglobin of 9.8 that's talking, but I have never felt so down so often. And low energy physically Mm -hmm. feels like depression to me for what... It feels like depression symptoms, things that I understand as depression symptoms. I understand that completely. And I feel like I went through very similar symptoms when I was doing my year of Herceptin. Okay. I do. Um, And it wasn't until after I finished everything and um, I changed my diet. (laughs) (laughs) darn it. God damn it. I know. But, um, I have, I, and of course exercising diet and exercise, gosh, you know, as much as I don't like saying that, but it's true. It did help me. It makes a huge difference. It really did help me diet and exercise. Really. It, it definitely pepped me up quite a bit more than I was. And I was in a not pretty place for a minute. You're basically, for me, it's very difficult to get endorphins any other way at this Mm -hmm. point um, than going to a real good spin class. And I go first thing in the morning. So I'm a 6 a.m. workout person, but I was before this happened. And the reason I do that is because my after a while of convincing yourself to do this mentally, your, um, your muscle memory will take over. So my alarm goes off at 5.30. I get out of bed automatically. My mind is going, what are you doing? It is 5.30 in the fucking morning. You're tired. Oh, you didn't sleep very good last night. You got a big day. You, you can just go back to sleep. It's cold out here. It's so cold. So warm under your cover. So like my mind is looping through all of these. You deserve another hour and a half of sleep. Just go back. To, it's okay. And while my body is like peeing, brushing my teeth, Put strapping on some yoga pant, sports bra, whatever top, whatever. And by the time I fully wake up, I am halfway through that spin class. And I'm like, where am I? Who is this? Why is Justin Bieber playing? And it just works. And it just works. And after the class is over, it for me, it has to be someone on a microphone yelling at me to do things. And it has to be in a group of people because I'm highly susceptible to um, peer pressure when it comes to working out. If I just wake up and go to a gym, I'll find a bench somewhere and go back to sleep. And I could do it too. I could do it. Trust me. (laughs) 
So I, I have to be, I mean, it has to be like really hard for me to be anonymous. So, but I walk out of those classes and it's the best I feel all the goddamn day. Yeah. It just feels, it puts me in a much different frame of mind. Yeah. So I do it for my body because it's good for my body, but I honestly, I do it for the chemicals. Mm-hmm. I really do. Okay. So I go to karate with my boys. Oh yeah. I was so impressed by this. When, I'm still so impressed by this. When we go, especially if I've had a rough day or if I had to go um, to a doctor's visit and or anything. Sometimes I'll tell the instructor like, Hey, I had a really hard day. Can I punch something? Can we do a lesson today and somewhere include punching something? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and boy, do they really allow us to go there. It's so awesome. It's, and it's fun and I get to do it with my kids and I feel so much better afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sort of preached this to my kids too, especially my 10 year old. He comes home from school. He had a really rough day or he had a really hard test and he feels like overwhelmed and he'll be like, mom, I don't want to go to karate today. And I'm like, yes, today of all days, if you had a really tough day at school or an emotional day at school, you need to go. And this actually happened this, this week, this last week, um, where he had a rough day and I told the instructor, I said, Hey, he had, he had a hard time at school today. And he goes, okay. And so he took him right over that punching bag and, um, did a lesson over there and we all participated, Mm -hmm. but it was so cool. And he at the end said, mom, I feel so much better. And the next day he had a really good day at school. And I was like, see, sometimes you just got to get those things out. Mm hmm. Oh, you're teaching him to manage his emotions. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's hard oh God, as it's an so adult. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. I've been, I mean, thank God I started therapy before all this happened because it's been about six years of therapy and I'm just, we're just like scratching the surface of all the ways that I have not learned to manage my feelings and emotions all the way up until and through adulthood so far it's ridiculous but and i mean that just could be big therapy keeping me there you know convincing me i have problems but somehow i don't really think that's true but also the kickboxing class on my class pass yeah and once mm once my platelets get back over 100, I get to start taking kickboxing again. Nice. So I can't wait. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thinking that every ache and pain is cancer is normal. And if you don't have someone to text about it who can relate, and I mean directly relate to it, find somebody. Find, I mean, I don't find somebody is a very broad thing to say but you've got to like get on Facebook look for local breast cancer groups you're gonna you're probably gonna cycle through a few that you don't like you're gonna I don't know it might take some time but you've got to have somebody that you can share that with because otherwise it's just you having those thoughts by yourself 
find that one person at that event and run up to them and say, I need to know you or you need to know me. It worked out really great for me. I gotta say, thank God. I mean, we have to be friends. Yes. (laughs) And your loved one, your intimate partner, your closest, closest friend is not going to get it. Uh, Yeah. Not fully. They're going to do their best. I'm sure. And it is hard to put them in that spot to get them to try to understand because they, they just can't on that level. Save yourself the frustration and the, um, what's the word when you're mad at someone for not giving you what you need, but you don't tell them. And so you just store it up and then one day you explode and you chop them up into a million pieces and throw them in the river. What's that called? Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> what is that called? That went pretty far. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I've ever thought about it, but... You've seen Snapped. Right. What's that called? The root of every woman who tries to dissolve their husband mm. in the vat of acid. It's... It, spite? It, it's that... It's spite. It's... it's um. Oh my God, why can't I think of this word? When you blank someone, when you, wow, no, Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, it'll come. Mm. It will. Wow. I know. I'm with you. That's okay. I act like this is weird, but I forget words all the time. And I actually repurpose words inappropriately too <laughs> and I'm barely ever corrected and I only find out like much later I feel like um it's kind of strange how you know they say you have chemo brain mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm pretty sure that that kind of carries on for a while I'm positive I'm not so sure that that really comes back after all of this no I don't think how do you unpickle a cucumber it's pickled. Yeah. It's a pickle now. Yeah. And it's not as good. Cucumbers, delicious. Pickles, disgusting. Oh, no. No, not at all true. I love pickles. Resentment. 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 Yes. Save yourself. The, resen- the resentment is at the See, core of all homicidal pickles. mania. Talking about pickles will get you to resentment. Exactly. Cucumbers, <laughs> pickles, resentment. Don't do it. Yeah. Save yourself the... the you know, the inconvenience of a trial. Yeah. And just share these things mm-hmm. with people who you know understand so that you get the reaction you're counting on. Right. Which is, oh my God, that is so terrifying. I can't believe this is happening to you. This is so unfair. Right. And I'm so glad you told me. Yeah, it's funny how you you do feel like you tell certain people and you know what reaction they're going to give you. And a lot of times they don't know how to react because even with the first diagnosis that you had, people just don't know what to do because they can't fix it. Right. And that's not generally what the cancer patient is looking for, but it's so hard because almost no one can relate unless you've done it and been through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is why people who have seen combat get together yeah. and talk about it. Yeah. 
and you can love them with every part of your being and you will still never understand what they've been through. Right. Nurses do this too. Yeah. When I worked in the ICU, this is why nurses, you see a cluster of nurses at a bar drinking (laughs) and laughing hysterically because underneath the laughter is just crying hysterically because of all the death Mm -hmm. that we've seen. Right. And we get together and we talk with each other. And if our spouses are ever unlucky enough to join us in those situations, they feel completely left out because they are. And they won't fully understand. And it's not to say you shouldn't talk to them about it because people can understand emotion and feelings without relating directly to the source of it. Mm-hmm. However, you also have to have that group of people who can look you in the eye and be like, I have felt exactly that way for exactly that reason. You need that. Totally. You got to have it. So we're here. To be that. Yes. I mean, I can't look you in the eye, but I'm virtually looking (laughs) you in the eye right now. (laughs) And I'm telling you. Yes. I know how you feel because I've felt that way for exactly the same reason. Totally validated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, you know, if you have the means... An hour and a half with a professional once a week will probably help, you know. Absolutely. Otherwise, ask for that stand, that scan. Yep. I don't know. I have nothing else. Nope. Do you Me have either. anything else? Nope. To be continued. Da, da, da. <laughs> you know, this is like the clearest evidence that we produce our own show because we're like what? six episodes in and we haven't even talked about really thoroughly chemo or radiation or surgery we're going in we're gonna do it but it's just interesting to me totally the things that become important yeah like after all that was finished and it i i totally see you know those things at first seem important. Mm-hmm. And then, then afterwards you go, oh, it's not. Not as much. Because <laughs> it's just going to happen anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the shit that lasts forever. Right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ugh. But don't worry. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. If it's a shared experience. Absolutely. Then it's all, it's all grist for the mill. It's all part of your story. Absolutely. This is Breast Cancer is Boring with Jocelyn and Lauren. And Lauren. That's right. Okay. That's it. That's all I've got. Music, music, music. Fading out. That's (laughs) all I've got.